DSM. How y'all doing? Now, I got to tell you something. Tonight, this room is alive, man. I'm feeling it. Are you feeling tonight? Are you feeling it? Wow. Well, man, before we get into anything, number one, we want to welcome our VIPs, our first-time visitors to the room. Come on, give them some love. Yes, we're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you showed up. I hope that you come back. One thing that we talk about a lot to our VIPs is that you can come here just the way you are, that Jesus loves you, we love you, and guess what? This is a mask-free zone, okay? So we're all about being real and being loving and pursuing God and encountering him and his love for us. Cool? The other thing is if you don't download our podcast on iTunes, that's available. So if you hear something that I say that incriminates me and you want to report it to the police, you can listen to the podcast and turn that in, okay? Um, but seriously, if you want to share a sermon or you want to share the service with a friend or just relive the magic from a Wednesday night, you could totally do that. But for those listening right now, you know by this point, we love to welcome the, everybody listening to the DSM podcast. So at the count of three, I want you to yell and welcome the DSM podcast listeners to the room as well. One, two, three, go! So good, so good. So before we get into our series tonight, I have uh, an announcement to make. It's a good announcement. So... We have needs in our ministry, right? And so it's not just me. I want you to understand that what you see here, all the worship, the lights, the smoke, the, the air conditioning working, just everything requires a lot of hands. And so I could not lead this ministry without a team. And so we went through a lot of transitions, as many of you know, over the last couple of months, but God is faithful. Everybody say God is faithful. He is, man, because when we have a need, he delights in meeting those needs. And one of those needs was the need for an awesome media guru ninja, okay? And that's his official job title. And so I want to invite you to welcome our brand new addition, one of many that are going to be coming. Please welcome Joe Pagello. You made it. How many of y'all know Joe? You know Joe? Really quickly, I got to tell you, so my very first night that I spoke to you guys, Joe and I, we met up in that room up there, and I, I looked over from the corner of my eye, and I saw this illustrated man. He was like a, a walking cartoon, and, and I was like, who is that guy? He's the coolest guy I've ever seen, and I have to go meet him. And so I, that's pretty much true, though, right? So I was like, dude, I have to meet you. And he's like, yeah, come to find out, man. He loves you guys. He has such a pastoral heart. And in addition to that, he has crazy tech skills. And so all the media, anything that you can see and hear, he's going to be overseeing and leading, and he wants you guys to be a part of that. So we're going to create opportunities for you to serve with him. If you got a talent in that area, you want to express yourself in that way for the glory of God. So we are so excited to have Joe. So Joe, really quickly, first off, tell us your second story in a sentence. Okay. Um, I, when I was living first, I was filthy, I was greedy, and I was anxious. But when I lived second and I chose Christ to be in my life, I was uh, clean, I was giving, and I'm peaceful. Let's celebrate God's work in Joe's life. So a couple of quick things. Um, what I would love to know is, uh, are you in fact married? Yes. Okay. yes. So you're married. How long have you been married? Four years. Four years. Let's celebrate four years. 1,200 days or so. That's good stuff right there. Um, do you have any kids? Not yet, but one on the way. One on the way! Woo-wee! So let me ask you a question in closing. Number one, if you guys want to get to know Joe, Joe wants to get to know you. So you just snag him and introduce yourself and just make him feel so loved and welcome. We're so thankful for him. But I got to ask, why did you choose this position here with DSM? Uh, I didn't really choose it. It chose me. So I feel like God just kind of dropped it on me and I was like, I, can't, I couldn't turn it down. So. so there you go. Everybody, Joe, welcome to the team, bro. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. I could talk to you all night, but I got to preach a sermon now. Man, all right. So how many of y'all were here last week? Let me just hear a woo or a show of hand or both. All right. 
What a great night that was, man. And uh, wow, what a joy it is to share encouragement with you guys. If you weren't with us last week, we started this brand new series called Between Binary. And for those of you who don't know exactly what that means, basically it's this binary code is how digital uh, messages are transferred. Can you tell? I really don't know what I'm talking about. I just know enough to be dangerous. But basically when you listen to your music on your iTunes, for example, right? It's a bunch of ones and zeros in a series to which it communicates the music. Everything's digital in ones and zeros. And so I, I was just driving, and I felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of put it on my heart. He's like, Dave, you need to preach a sermon about binary. Because the problem is this. As I've had coffee with you guys, see, you didn't think I was serious. But every single student that has said, hey, Dave, I want to have coffee with you, we are setting up appointments. And so I've gotten a lot of coffee with you guys. I'm so wired from caffeine, drinking so much coffee with you guys. But here's what I've kind of learned about just kind of your world and, and what some of you are kind of going through, most of you. What I've learned is you live in a culture, on, at least on this side of town, there's a culture, I should say, that really celebrates being all you can be. That's a good thing. Your parents are saying be all that you can be. Your, your coaches, your teachers, um, your youth pastors, everybody are saying you've got to be 100. You've got to be 100%. And that's good. But sometimes... If you're under the pressure of having to make that GPA, you're under the pressure of having to perform academically and in and, and your sports and all these different types of things, you, you get into this zone of performance. And what I'm learning and what the Lord is showing me how I could be a better pastor to you guys is I'm noticing and I'm afraid that too often you are transferring that all be all you can be into your walk with God. And you go, well, Am I not supposed to be all that I can be for the glory of God? See, the question is the wrong question to ask. Because if you're not careful, what could happen is, is that when you're not at 100%, and some days, I mean, you're under this pressure to perform in all these areas, including your spiritual walk, you got to have a quiet time, you got to be consecrated, you got to do these things, you got to live out the vow, you got to do all this stuff, which is really, really good stuff. But if you're not careful, you get into a zone where you think, I have got to perform to earn my parents' love. I got to perform to earn my coach's love and approval. I got to perform to earn my friend's approval. And I've got to perform in order for God to love me as well and continue to bless me. This is a dangerous place for a Christian to be because what happens is, is by accident, when you mess up in the midst of the pressure and you add a secret sin to your life, or something happens in your life that causes you to be wounded and it's maybe something that you weren't even asking for. And you start adding up all these pressures and then you've got the pressure of God and having to make sure that you're doing all the right things to make sure that you keep that plate spinning too. Too often, too many Christians go, I'm a zero. I'm failing. I can't do this. And statistics say that 80% of students that are actively attending in youth ministry, when they graduate from youth ministry or graduate from high school, they graduate from youth ministry. Is there any reason why? Because somewhere along the way, deep down inside, you go, I wish I was a one, but I feel like a zero most of the time. And it's too much work. So I'm going to go to college and I'm going to take a big breath and I'm just going to live the way I like because I can't do one all the time. And the problem is, is that we lose the beauty and the poetry of the love of Jesus in the midst of it. And all of a sudden, we begin to think we have to do all these things. And what I'm telling you guys is, no, you don't. When we sing this old school song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow, right? People sing it much better than you just heard it. But the truth is, is that it doesn't say, David paid it all. Jenny paid it all. Your mother paid it all. Not in this respect anyway. She's buying everything else. You better hug her and thank her for being so sweet to buy you stuff. But the deal is this, you have nothing to bring to earn God's love. 
And so when we mess up and we, we fall into temptation and we're under these pressures, guys, I know that you're, fall, you're, you're dealing with this, you're struggling with this. And so when we fall in these situations, many times we just stop coming to youth group. We just bail out. That's why there's certain faces that were here last year that aren't here this year. You wonder why? Because they're like, man, the party scene is a lot more easy to live than the Christian life. Oh, man, let me tell you, I love hanging out and, and chilling out with my girlfriend on a Friday night, Dave, and we just kind of, we, we just fulfill one another. We complete each other. Man, I, I, can't, I can't do all that. Non, I can't just keep saying no to things. Is there a way to live life in a way that isn't either or, but it's right in the middle between binary? Because the truth is, and I, I hope you're understanding, guys, I struggle with this stuff all the time. So I know what I'm talking about. I'm walking in your shoes too because there's days that I don't have quiet times when I'm supposed to. There's days where my prayers just feel like they're kind of hitting the ceiling and I don't feel the power. Anybody else in here feel me on this or am I just the only one, right? Are there times where you read the Bible and you're just like, this is dry as a bone. I'm not getting it. I'd rather just go back to Instagram. That was stimulating to me. But I'm in judges. I don't know what to make of it all. How do we live this life, guys? Is this what Jesus died for us to experience? Or did he say, I came that you have, may have life and have it more abundantly? See, that's not living. It's not living when we have to keep all these plates spinning and try to keep God happy and our coaches happy and our parents happy. It's nice to do those things, but if we do it for the wrong reason, these things become idols in and of themselves, and it misdirects us and it makes us tired. Tonight, we're going to be talking about what does it mean when you're a Christian, now I'm going to be talking to a lot of different groups of people tonight, so regardless of where you're at in your spiritual walk, it's going to apply to you tonight. But I want to talk to the choir. Is that okay? So this is a sermon for, on the front end to the choir, and what I mean by that is church kids. You, you've accepted Christ. You've, you've had moments. You are fully devoted to Jesus, and, and maybe you're struggling a little bit. Can a Christian follow Christ and love Christ and yet doubt at the same time? We say yes, but how many of y'all feel guilty with those days when you feel a little bit doubtful? Let me see a show of hands. What did I tell you? There's, we're taking off the masks, right? Look around. There's like DLA students raising their hands. And there's, and there's student leaders raising their hands. Why? Because we all struggle with doubt. But when those moments of doubt come, we go, oh, I'm not supposed to be doubting. I'm not supposed, no, no, no. That's, oh, oh, maybe I'm not even saved. How can a Christian doubt? And so many times we fall into the zero category. And we go, I'm not a one. I'm a zero. What good Christian would doubt God? How do we, sometimes the truth itself is hard to believe. For example, I did a little research. Y'all want to hear some, some little bits and pieces of uh, things that I found that I want you to determine if they're true or not. You cool? Get, you understand the, the game, how this works? Is this true or is this not true? Did you know that the Pentagon has a plan for combating a zombie apocalypse? True or untrue? True, raise hands. True? Untrue, raise your hands. Doesn't sound true. All right, here's another one. In Iran, 14 squirrels were arrested for spying in 2007. True or untrue? All right, untrue. Untrue. Who, who arrests a squirrel? In 2009, Nigerian police arrested a goat on the suspicion of attempted armed robbery. True? Untrue. Okay. Alexander the Great, Napoleon, and Hitler all suffered from the same phobia, and the phobia was the fear of cats. True? Untrue. Okay. Y'all want one more? In Texas, yeah. It is legal to kill Bigfoot if you ever find it. True? You're like, it's Texas, probably. I could say that. I'm from Texas. Would you believe that all of those are true? I, I fact-checked them because I didn't believe them. I share this with you because sometimes the truth is hard to believe. If you go, David, that's true, but can you, how does this tie into Jesus and the Bigfoot? Okay, well, listen, here's how. Imagine if you don't know anything. And someone told you, okay, there's going to be an unwed teenaged virgin who is going to get pregnant without having intercourse, 
You're like, David, we just got out of a sex series. Please don't say that word again. But she's pure. She's a virgin. She's going to have a baby. How many of y'all would be like true or untrue? How many of y'all would be like on the front of you like, I don't believe it? I'm raising my hand because who in their right mind would believe it? But yet, look what it says in Luke. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and his kingdom will never end. Now, we get pumped up about that. Like, yeah, that's right. Guys, she was a virgin. This would fall in the category that I just read of all these weird truths. It, but see, my point is this. You have to look at truth, and you got to go, man, it's hard to swallow. How can, I, how, can I, how can I believe that? And there's some days, guys, that I struggle with doubt. There are some days where I'm like, Lord, I don't know if I fully believe this today. Billy Graham, you know who Billy Graham is? Like the world's greatest like, evangelist? You know what he said? This is the guy who has led more people to Christ in all of human history, okay? In, in all these massive stadiums, sharing the gospel. He says there are days he doesn't even know if he's saved. Billy Graham. I think it's time we take off the masks and go, man, can I be a follower of Christ and still struggle with some doubt? Because David, if I'm being honest, tonight I'm doubting God. Maybe you came in here for the first time and, and you've never been in church before. This is the first time you came in DSM and you're checking it out and you're like, wow, this band is amazing and are they not amazing? They're just the, one of the best worship bands ever. Um, I love them so much. Um, but maybe you're checking it out. You're like, wow, the musicianship is really top notch here and, and so far so good with the guy who's, who has no hair and, and, and maybe just checking things out. But maybe you came in and you're like, listen, I know what they're going to be talking about and I don't believe any of that. I, I, I choose to believe in science or whatever it is that you, that's so, totally cool. But I would tell you this, I understand some of the things that are said in the Bible are tough to swallow and they can, they can cause doubt. But here's what I want to let you know. From the moment that angel told this little virgin girl, unmarried virgin girl, that she's going to have a son and name him Jesus, and he's going to have a kingdom that will never end, from that point moving forward, mankind has had to wrestle with the truth of Jesus. And here's the thing. Not everybody jumps on board, but I love what Bono had to say. He said, listen, Jesus isn't letting you off the hook. When people say, you know, Jesus was a good teacher. Some of you came in here tonight, and you're like, okay, I believe he's a good teacher. He's like, okay. Or a good prophet or a really nice guy. Jesus is a nice guy. He, what he says is you have to understand that this is not how Jesus thought of himself. He didn't see himself in these ways. He, Bono says this leaves people in a tight spot. Either Jesus was who he said he was, or he was a complete and utter nutcase. He said you've got to make a choice on that. You can't just dance around and say, oh, he was a really nice guy. Because here's the thing, if you study the teachings of Jesus, okay, when Jesus spoke, he painted with words many times. And for most of the time, the colors that he used were black and white. So if anybody spoke in binary terms, it was Jesus, okay? And he's allowed to do that. Jesus used very little gray to describe the kingdom or his role in the kingdom. And so over Jesus' three-year ministry, everybody say three-year ministry, yeah, He's, while he's feeding the hungry, he's loving the unlovable, he's making friends with prostitutes and thieves and raising folks from the dead. Most people were really cool with that version of Jesus. He's doing a bunch of great stuff, but just when people would start to warm up to Jesus, he would start making certain claims about himself. Okay, And what he would do is he would say, I'm the son of God, and yes, it is as you say it is. And what would happen is it, was, it would elicit one of two responses. When people would start making these claims about himself, either it compelled people to worship Jesus because the revelation of truth was right in front of them. They're like, oh, you are the son of God. But then other people would hear him say the exact same thing, and it pushed a button so deep inside people that they wanted to kill him. It was an either-or reaction. There was really very little fan of Jesus. Either you were a follower or you hated him and you wanted him dead. What does that have to do with us? I bring this up because I believe there's those in this room that really want answers to the questions of this. Who is Jesus? 
New Life Church is going through a series on Sunday mornings, like, who do you say I am is the name of the series. And so I th- the reason why we're doing that is because there's a lot of people who are searching for answers. Because regardless of how you see Jesus right now in this moment, how many of all of us would, how many of us would agree that this world is jacked up? Okay. Right? We see pain. You see pain every single day. You walk the halls with people who don't know that Jesus loves them. You walk the halls of people who are struggling, who are struggling with depression. You may be one of them. And we're looking at our world, and we may not believe in God, but we got to know that, man, something is broken. Something ain't right here. Who is Jesus? Is he really the only way to God while there's others in here, and maybe you came to DSM for the first time in a long time, and maybe this is the first time you've ever been in a church, like I said, and maybe your life is falling apart. Your parents are getting divorced. Your father just lost his job. Your parents are fighting. You have another sibling that's causing a lot of trouble in your house that is causing a lot of confusion and chaos and pain, and your, your world isn't what you want it to be. So maybe your question about Jesus comes from a much deeper place, and maybe deep down you're desperately wanting to find the answer, and it's wrapped in this question. Is it true? Is it true that Jesus could love me in spite of my mistakes and my failures and my past? Some of you are desperately wanting to know the answer to that because you don't know, and maybe that's you, but here's the thing. To those who are asking, okay, David, what is the truth about Jesus? My question to you would be, are you really prepared for the answer? Because I'm not going to gloss over anything tonight. I'm going to shoot it to you as straight as the Holy Spirit will allow me. So if you're really wanting to know, can I trust this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? I want to know tonight, are you prepared for the answer? And that's only an answer that you can answer yourself. What I've learned is the question isn't normally the problem. Asking the question, who is Jesus, what's he about, that's not the problem. It's the answer that stirs everything up. And so while we're kind of cohesive right now, we're going to begin to fall into certain categories throughout the course of this talk. John 14, and I touched on this a little bit last week, but Jesus is having this thing called the Last Supper. Everybody say Last Supper. And it was a seven-day event in Israel's history. They would, it's a rich tradition, celebrating God's faithfulness in good times. And one of the customs was them to have this Passover meal. Now, Jesus is overseeing this Passover meal. You're like, David, why do I care? Well, you're going you're to care in a second. Check this out. Jesus is hanging out with his 12 disciples. They're having this last meal, right? And Jesus opens up by saying this. He says, guys... Oh, I've been really excited and eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Because Jesus knows that by the end of this week, his body's going to be nailed to a cross. He's going to be tortured and killed. He knows this. And the disciples are hearing this and they're struggling to understand what Jesus is trying to explain. And so as Jesus talks about leaving and dying and all these things, Jesus attempts to comfort them. And this is what he says. He says, guys... Don't let your hearts be troubled, John 14, 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. He said, trust in God and trust also in me. Problem solved. Not so much. Jesus goes on to say, listen, I'm going to leave you guys for a while. And what's going to happen is I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And when I'm done, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. And then you get to be where I am. And he says, listen, and you know in John 14, 4, he says, and you know the way where I'm going. And I can only imagine there's like this awkward pause at the dinner table. Because he's like, guys, you know where I'm going. And they're like, right? They're like, who's going to say we don't really know where you're going? Because one of the disciples, doubting Thomas, speaks up and he says, no, we don't, Lord. We ain't got no idea where you're going. How can we know the way? I don't know why he says it that way, but that's funny to me. So I'm entertaining myself right now. He's like, I don't know where you're going, Jesus. Nobody knows where you're going. Let's stop for a second. Before we make fun of Thomas too much, ladies, there's a virtue in Thomas that you should appreciate. Because the truth is, most males never ask for directions. They don't go, no, can you tell me where, right? So you got to love Thomas right on the front end from the ladies' perspective because we're too prideful to ask for directions. But here's the thing. It reveals something that we do, though. 
Thomas, everybody listen to this. Thomas is processing Jesus' words purely from a human perspective, and that's the problem. And for many of us in here, we will read the Word of God or hear the Word of God, and we process the Word of God based upon our own wisdom. That's when we start getting messed up. We try to reason out the words of God, and that's what Thomas is doing here. And I think Thomas is literally expecting Jesus to go, oh, my bad. As a matter of fact, if you just take a left at the moon and you go four galaxies over, we're like the first pearly gate on the right. I think that's what he, Thomas is actually expecting Jesus to say. But Jesus says, listen, I am the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. And what does it say in capital letters? No one can come to the Father except through me. Thomas, the directions to God, you're looking at it. I'm access to God. I'm the way to God. I'm the truth and I am the life that you're looking for. And you can't have access to the Father except through me. I am the one that leads you to the presence of the Father. Now, guys, here's the deal, and I understand how this sounds, but this is not an all paths lead to God statement. This is a pick your side kind of statement. This is a polarizing statement. Because up to this point, if we think Jesus is a good teacher and he's a good man, but then you get here, you have to make a choice. Bono was preaching when he said what he said. Jesus makes this powerful declaration, right? And I can imagine it's dead quiet in the room. What do you say after that? Oh, okay. Right? Well, this kid, another disciple named Philip speaks up. Like, dude, just be quiet. But he says, Philip says in John 14, he says, Lord, show us the Father, and then we'll be satisfied. Philip, eat another piece of bread. Close your mouth. Why would you say that? In other words, Jesus. Now, this is where it applies to the choir in the room. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus, I want to believe in you, but could you give me just one more truth nugget? That's what I need. I just need one more encounter. I need just a little bit more from you, and then I'll totally be satisfied. I'll totally trust you. What we can learn from Thomas and Philip is this, guys. It's possible to follow Jesus and still doubt the truth. Because, guys... Jesus is standing right in front of them. Think about that. And someone is looking at the truth personified and saying, I just need a little bit more. Then you'll have all of me. Then I'll totally trust you. And then it's in these moments of doubt, guys, that we begin to struggle and we begin to feel bad. And we've been, the enemy comes in, he tries to bring in thoughts of condemnation like, oh, if people knew how much you doubted God in this season of your life, are you even a Christian? Why would you even want to believe this anyway? What has God done for you recently? Your whole life is falling apart and going down the toilet. And in these moments of doubt, we have a choice. We go, oh, I'm a zero. I will never be a one. I struggle with too much doubt. I'm a processor. I'm analytical, David. I am too. But is there a way through this? I want you to understand that doubt is different from faithlessness. Okay? I'm going to give you the definition of doubt. The definition of doubt is the status between belief and what? It's between. It's between. So if you have doubts tonight, it's not a deal killer for you guys. God's not upset with you. He's not saying, oh, come on. Just have 100% faith. Without faith, David, it's impossible to please God, though. But what you don't understand is God is bigger than your doubt. And he's not threatened by it. And he wants to teach you and show how he could be faithful in these areas of doubt in your life. He's not going to leave you hanging. But Jesus says to Philip, and he's saying to the doubters in the room, look, if you don't believe my words, just look at the, my works. Dude, I've raised dead people from, from back to life. I mean, honestly, just look at the things that I've done. But here's the thing. I'm letting you know right now, guys, that you're going to go through seasons of doubt. And I want to encourage you tonight to let you know these are not deal killers. All I'm asking you to do is continue to take your doubts to God. Because if you read anywhere in the Psalms where the psalmist is saying, crying out to God, he's like, God, how long are you going to ignore me? That's in the Bible. 
There's this point where David says, I think it's like in Psalm 13, he's like, how long do I have to cry at night and drench my pillow with tears? Forever? Are you ever going to re respond to me, God? How many of y'all can identify with a psalm like that? Yeah, so can King David. God is okay with this. Take it to him. But some of you, a couple of you maybe, you're like, um, excuse me, David, I'm a leader. I've known the Lord since four months before I was born, except Christ in the womb. I've stayed pure. I've done all the right things, and I stand on the solid rock of my faith in my Lord Jesus Christ, and I do not doubt 100% faith. All right. Well, what I would say to you is I'm so glad that you have that level of faith because your youth pastor doesn't have that. But secondly, I doubt <laughs> your lack of faith, right? Your, your faith. I really doubt it. Um, I don't know. I just don't buy it. And maybe you're like, well, Dave, I, I love Jesus and I have tons of faith. Well, man, listen, I, I love that too. But guys, be strong, right? You got to be strong, but there's going to be moments and seasons of doubt. And it usually comes when bad things happen and we get to get scared and fear produces doubt many times. And so you stay strong, and I'm not making fun of you, but I just want to let you know that it may not always be that way, so tuck this sermon in your back pocket if you need it. Philip is wanting one more truth nugget. Why do I keep bringing that up? Because he's saying, Jesus, show us the Father, and then we'll be satisfied. But how does this apply to us? Because many times we go, God, give me one more goosebump tonight. One more, one more moment where I can feel your presence. And those are good things. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes we do these ultimatums with God and we say, God, listen, I'll believe that you are who you say you are if you'll just show me one more sign in my life that I'm all in. God, give me a hot boyfriend or a girlfriend and then I'll be all in. Just give me a sign. Make my parents cool and then I'll be in all the way. Yeah, y'all are afraid to laugh on that one. That's okay. I'm sure it's a prayer my son has prayed before. But here's the thing. I think for some of you in here, and this is going to be the most pointed part for you, and then we're going to go to another couple of groups of people. I think I'm going to read this exactly how God gave it to me. I think for some of you in here, what causes you to doubt is you find yourself in a situation where you are worshiping other people's experiences with God. And that's what you're in love with. And that is your pursuit. Instead of worshiping and seeking God and allowing him to reveal himself to you in a way that's unique to you. And I think that is a problem here potentially in our youth group. If I'm, if I'm just going by what the Holy Spirit is telling me, I think too often we worship other people's experiences. And you go, Dave, how, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Okay, so maybe you're at Coram Deo. And, and if you're like me in those types of settings potentially, when I was going to camp and going to retreats, I'm, I'm not a real crier. I'm not a very expressive person. I've grown in my worship and I've grown in my understanding of God, but I'm not that, so everyone around me is crying at camp, and they're worshiping, or maybe they're speaking in tongues, or they're being prophetic, and everyone else is getting a good word, and you're just standing there, and you don't have anything, right? These moments happen, and we begin to look around, and we go, well, God, what about me? Anybody, anybody have ever been in that situation before? Yeah, isn't that the worst? Because you're like, everybody else is just God, and it's beautiful, and it's this and that. And you're like, I'm getting back on the bus, and I don't feel like I got anything. I can't talk in tongues, prophesy, can't do anything, you know? And then I think sometimes we begin to envy, and we have these, 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 we look at other people, and we begin to compare what we don't know about them about what we know about ourselves, and we begin to go, oh, they're so spiritual, they're so filled, and why, God, why would you give me these things, and why come I don't feel this way when I'm in a worship setting, and, and man, when I walk in this room, everybody's just worshiping and pacing and praying over one another, and I just feel like I'm just standing here. Like, it, do, it doesn't make any sense. And what happens is it begins to foster doubt, and we go, God is either holding out or he's not real. 
And then we begin to get envious. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I had lunch with a man who was in his 50s. And he said, David, I struggle with this. He's like, man, I look around and I see people and they're just like, oh, and they're in the presence and they're talking about hearing God speak and these things and healing and and all of these spiritual experiences. And I never get that. And I got to be honest, I'm resentful to God a little bit because I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Do you hear that? And I want to let you know the enemy will say, hey, God doesn't love you as much as they love that person next to you. Maybe they're just living better than you are. And then we go, I'm a zero. i got to try harder to get back to one. And too many of you in here and too many Christians in general, we try to earn our way back to one saying, well, then i got to try harder. i just got to be more perfect. i got to be more holy. i got to do better. And what we've done is we've taken the beauty of God out and we've made it into a job and we never arrive, or we learn how to fake it. Y'all ready for a little bit more? Are we good? Are we good so far? Okay. So over the course of the Lord's Supper, Jesus sets Thomas and Philip straight, Philip straight, and then he predicts that Judas is going to sell him out for some money, and that doesn't turn out very well for Judas, as we know, right? And then, and then there's this scene that's not that I didn't talk about last week, but things are going down. Jesus is getting arrested. Peter, keeping it classy, chops off the ear of a dude in the process, right? He pulls out a sword and cuts off the guy's ear. Now, Jesus is arrested and taken to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, this is, remember the whole scene from last week, Peter denying? Okay, well, this is what's going on inside. Matthew 26, 59, it says, Inside, the leading priests and the entire council were trying to find witnesses who would, can you see it on the screen? Who would what? Okay, the priests, the pastors, are trying to find people who have no integrity that are going to lie. They want to lie on Jesus, okay, so that they can put him to death. What exactly are the religious leaders trying to do in this moment? What they're trying to do is when they're faced with the truth, they try to suppress it. Everybody say suppress it. So here's the religious leaders who have the truth personified in handcuffs. The truth is right in front of them, and aren't these guys in charge of protecting the laws of God? Isn't the ninth commandment, I believe, thou shalt not lie? And these men who are in charge of preserving and keeping the law of God because they're uncomfortable with the truth of Jesus because it shows a mirror to how the fact that they aren't as holy and righteous as they were thinking they were. And when the truth shows up, it's a mirror, and all of a sudden they go, oh my gosh, I don't like what I see. we got to kill the mirror. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to kill the very truth that they were called by God to protect. So, they're trying to suppress the truth. For me, suppressing the truth, I had an opportunity to do this a couple of years ago. One, I remember, I'll never forget, I was a young man. I went into the bathroom. You're like, where is this going, Dave? Hang tight. I go into the bathroom, and I look in the mirror, and I go, oh my gosh, I think I'm losing my hair. Gentlemen, I hate that day for you. And some of you, that day is coming. But it's all right. We need more on our side. And here's the funny part. is like for like a year or two, I would get mad at the people cutting my hair. Because I thought that they were giving me bad haircuts. And I'm like, they, they, man, they're just terrible. I can't get a good haircut to save my life. Oh, no. I was just going bald, so I wasn't having a bad hair day. I was on my way to going out having a no hair day. You know what I mean? Now, I had an option, and the option was this. I could do one of a couple things. I could go, well, I'm growing it really thick on the sides, so what I can do is I can grow it really long and then, like, do the comb over, do the Swiss roll. That's a good look, right? I could do that. I can, like, try to, and then spray it and just pray to the Lord that it, does, it looks natural, which it doesn't. Or I can just go, I got a man up. Honey, give me a razor. Yeah, the ones that you use for your legs, that's fine. Just give it here. Here we go. And I never looked back. I'm like, I'm bald and beautiful. Take it or leave it, right? And for those of you who clapped, I know you're lying in church, but I will take it anyway. Now, here's why I bring this up. I had to be honest with what I saw in the mirror. But so many of us, when Jesus begins to show the truth in our lives about stuff, we go, no way. 
I don't want to believe what I'm looking at in the mirror. And so we want to suppress the truth. So here's what happens. When you read in the Bible, God says, hey, listen, don't have premarital sex or honor your father and your mother. Or we start looking in the mirror and we realize that we have deficits in our lives. Many times what we, have, what we do as Christians is we try to suppress the truth. So we try to do a spiritual comb over. And we try to act like we, we got it going on. But deep down inside, we're suppressing the truth. We don't want to deal with the issue at hand. And too many Christians have spiritual comb-overs. The thing is, is you're not fooling anybody except yourself. We can see your spiritual comb-over. This is what these guys are doing. They're trying to suppress the truth. Oh, Lord, help me finish strong and quickly. So they set out to kill the very thing that they were put in place to protect. Another thing. So Pilate. Everybody say Pilate. Some people don't mind the truth. They don't want to accept it, but they, they don't mind debating it. Does it. Do you know anybody in your life that just, they want to debate the truth, but they're not really wanting to find out answers or come to a conclusion. They just want to debate. They just want to have these conversations, right? John 18, verse 28, what happens is the religious leaders find two guys willing to lie on Jesus. They take him from Caiaphas' house to the high priest, to the Roman headquarters. Pontius Pilate is there. And in John 18, 37, Pontius Pilate says this. He says, huh, so... You're a king, huh? And I, I don't think he's asking in a hostile way. I think he's like, so intriguing. Hmm. What a, what, a, what a novel idea to call yourself a king. What's your kingdom, right? He's just, hmm, so interesting. He's so smart, right? And Jesus cuts through all of that because he has no interest hanging around, sipping Starbucks, talking about his merits as a king and why he thinks he's one. Stuff's happening. And so Jesus responded, he says, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and I came into the world to testify to the That's what I'm here for. And it's going to get me killed. People don't like the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say is true. In the NIV version, Jesus says, anyone on this side of truth believes in what I have to say. So there is a side. We have to trust the truth. But then Pilate goes, oh, so interesting. Oh, my Jesus, what is truth? What is it? And if I were Jesus, which I'm not, I'd be like, do you not, are you not aware of what's happening right now? I got other things on my mind than to sit here and talk, mm, what is truth, right? As a guy who's ministered to teens for 10 years, over 10 years, this generation, you guys have an unbelievable, unbelievable hunger for truth. Absolutely. The problem is, is that in our culture, Truths and absolutes are now seen as politically incorrect, closed-minded, and judgmental. So there's your truth, and I got my truth. So this is where a lot of people are. And we're fine with asking the question, but when an answer comes up, people begin to get really ticked off, especially when the truth is referenced from the Bible, okay? What is truth? So he goes, guys, I, he goes out to the crowd, he's like, I can't find anything wrong with this guy, and now he's been given a death sentence. Now Jesus is now on the cross. Check this out. He's publicly shamed. He's naked. The Bible explains in these hours of suffering on the cross, the full judgment and penalty for our sins is now being put upon Jesus. But guess what the topic of discussion is on the cross, guys? Truth. It follows Jesus all the way to the cross, this question of what is true. There was an inscription over Jesus in Luke 23. It says, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who was hanging there railed at him and saying, aren't you the Christ? Well, then why don't you save yourself and us? Does that sound familiar? Because I think we read in like Matthew 4, if I'm not mistaken, this is the exact same line that Satan used against Jesus when he was in the wilderness. He was like, hey, if you're the son of God, save yourself, you'll be fine. Turn these stones into bread. And in Jesus' most weakest moment, the enemy is speaking through this criminal into the ears of Jesus, getting him to question the truth of who he is. There was a sabotage taking place. But in verse 40, but the other side of the cross, okay, over here, the other side rebuked him. He said, hey, don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we are rightly so, for we are getting what we deserve for what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. What is the criminal saying? 
He's saying in this moment, I mean, you got to understand, he's confessing his sin. He's believing in his heart that Jesus is Lord. And he's calling out the other criminal. This is the first step in being made right with God. It's when we confess and admit our sin, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that you will be saved. The criminal goes on to say, he says, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says this to him. Y'all ready? Jesus says, I tell you. Look at it up there. Please tell me it's up there. I tell you the. Let that sit for a second. I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. I tell you the truth. Even in the darkest hours of Jesus' life on this earth, the light of truth, guys, never stopped shining from Jesus. And what that should let you know is that Jesus knows the truth. And he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth and the life. So bring your doubts. I'm bigger. Bring your questions, bring your disappointments. I've got this. Because even with his dying breath, he says, I tell you the truth. Why? Because Jesus tells us earlier that he came to this earth to testify to it, even to the point of death. The truth will set you free if you know it, according to John 8.32. My question is this. Tonight, we could talk about doubt. There's so, there's so many nuances to this, but I want to close with a story really quickly. I was meeting with this young lady a while, like a week or two ago, and she was telling me her parents were getting divorced, okay? And I could see the pain in her eyes. She's a good kid, good Christian family. Going to, they go to church, but they're getting divorced because stuff's happened. And she's just like, I don't, man, I'm just having a hard time. I'm struggling with how I see God. Because I'm afraid, I see God, I'm beginning to see God in the way that I see my dad. And my dad is really messed up a lot, and, and I just, and this is what I told her. And I share this with you. If you're, if you're like going through a rough time, you're like, David, I don't doubt because someone else speaks in tongues, and I don't. I, David, you don't understand. I'm going through a rough time in my life, and it's hard for me to trust in God because I don't feel like he's around. And I told her this. I said, isn't it funny how the enemy, Satan, in these moments, will actually try to describe God with the same characteristics that are actually Satan's. And what I mean by that is in our moments of doubt and fear, and, and when these moments where we're like, oh, I, I shouldn't be doubting, but I do doubt, and I, where's God in the craziness and the chaos of all this? I said, isn't it funny? The enemy comes in and goes, God condemns you. God is disappointed in you. God doesn't care about you. God wants your destruction. God's love is conditional. You don't have what it takes. God looks at you and he's disappointed. These are characteristics of Satan, guys. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that puts conditions. He's the law. He's the one that says, oh, you don't have what it takes. Uh, you, God, I'm distant, right? The distance, all these things where he's trying to scribe unto God. I'm letting you know the enemy is convincing you of what Satan is, and he's trying to put it on, they, um, put it on God. Does that make sense? It sure made a lot more sense in my head. You understand what I'm trying to say. And the enemy comes in in these moments, and he brings doubt into our lives and makes us look at, see God in the way that honestly best describes Satan. So the truth of God can only be responded into one of two ways tonight, either accept it or deny it. But I want to let you know, the truth is, is that Jesus loves you, man. And this act on the cross was for you. And so I don't know what kind of doubt you came in with, but all I want to let you know is this. As the band comes up, that tonight you don't have to be a superstar. Tonight, you could be honest with God. And I'm letting you know he loves you and he has a plan for your life. And he can handle your doubts. Just don't run away from him. That's all I'm asking. Take your doubts to Jesus tonight. And so here's what we're going to do tonight. As the band starts to play, our third or our core and our A staff leaders are going to come up. And I need them to come up real quickly. Core and A staff. 
And, and here's what I want to, want to happen tonight, okay? I love meeting you guys. I love hanging out with you guys. I love praying with you guys. And I'm still here for all of that. But here's what I want you to know. I've trained these guys, and I trust them 100%. But if this sermon has touched you in a way where you're like, that's what I needed to hear tonight, David. Or maybe for some of you, you're like, I never really thought about Jesus being the truth. I just thought he was a nice guy, but I realized there's so much more. And you want a relationship with Jesus. You want to be set free. You want the truth to set you free. You want to have a new life start tonight. You want to lay your sin down. You want to be made right with God. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Then please come to one of these people who are standing up front here and say, I want that. Some of you, you just need to get it off your chest. You've been bottling up stuff, and you, you didn't realize that this was a safe place to be honest. It is. And every single one of these leaders up here have probably done 10 times worse than you ever have. So just get it, get it out. Not you specifically, Joe. But maybe. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you all to stand. And I'm just going to let this moment just be chill. Just, just do your thing, okay, guys? And this is the way we're going to end the night. And so here's what I want you to do before you leave. If you need prayer, please come up. Let's have some altar time tonight, okay? If you're going to do it, though, all I'm asking is that you text your ride and let them know that you're going to be a little bit late getting out so we can honor your parents or your rides. Cool? Can you do that? But let them know. And then just come up and just let us pray with you. Let's talk through your doubts. Let's talk through your issues. If you want to know Jesus, as soon as we're done, please come up. I'll pray with you. Anybody will pray with you so you can meet Christ tonight. So next week, DSM, before we finish up, in my final minute here, next week is the close of our series Between Binary. Now, I know tonight was kind of heavy, but doubt is heavy, and some of you are struggling with that. So I want you to leave encouraged. Jesus loves you. But next week, we're going to talk about how to live on the mountain and in the valley at the same time, okay? And that is going to be such a fun sermon to preach. I wish I could preach it tonight. But bring your friends and come next week. It's going to be an amazing close to an amazing series. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that as we begin our altar time, I pray that you would give boldness to those who are timid tonight. I pray for those who went, oh my gosh, that is my life. I pray for those people by the power of your Holy Spirit, God. Lead them to come up front to be prayed with so we can love them and let them know that they're not in this life alone. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that by your Holy Spirit, God, that you would draw all men unto yourself. And so, Father, in my weak and fra fragmented way and clunky way tonight, God, I lifted up Jesus. And your word says that if we lift up Jesus, you will draw all men unto yourself. And so, Lord, in this moment, may not one student leave the same way that they walked in. May they know that there's a better way. May they know that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. May they know that you love them. May they know that you're not withholding from them. May they know the truth and may the truth set them free. I pray, Father, that they would not look for more truth, but Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that they would just simply apply the truth that they already know and put that into action. Remove the spirit of doubt. Shut the mouth of the enemy whispering in the darker moments of their lives. Bring order into the chaos of their hearts. And Father, may we live in desperate pursuit of you because you're worth pursuing. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. You love us and you love these students. And so, Father, I pray favor. I pray protection over them. I pray, Lord, that you would silence the voices in their lives that have caused them to doubt, that have caused them to walk in shame, that have caused them to think that they have to earn your love. May they walk in freedom because the chains are off by the blood of Jesus. Bless these students. I love them and I thank you for them. Amen.